0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our next episode of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Uh, I'm Dan Jameson's dad and want to say hi to Chris Lepardi. Hi, how are you guys? It was a- up. <laughs> and um, just welcome back to everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, Chris and I do this show to just walk through our grief losing our sons. And lately, we've been. Uh, just completely honored to have a bunch of different men on the show, who are um, taking that next step to their healing and sharing their story. So we are thrilled today to welcome Christopher Smaragdis, and um, as always, Christopher, welcome.
1: Thank you guys. Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, as always, we're just going to turn it right over to you, Christopher, and let you tell your story about your daughter.
1: Great. Again, thank you guys for having me. Uh, my daughter's name was Sophia Grace. Uh, she passed away August twenty third, two thousand twenty one. She was five years old. She had a uh, brother who was three at the time, and me and my wife, uh, <clears throat> me and my family, we had uh, we were what I would call uh, heading up the hill. We were just finished. Uh, you know, bills were looking slim house was housework was finishing uh my daughter was going to a school down the block from my house which we planned on years later and we moved to that house um my son was going to her school she was in at the moment and uh you know life was in a in a good way stagnantly happy we uh you know we had, weren't worried about much um and then one day on a Thursday she got what we thought was a stomach virus and still to this day we're not no one's really sure exactly what exactly virus it was but she uh started vomiting and um you know had diarrhea and stuff like that so most parents and they said it too wouldn't have even taken the child to the hospital but we just were still worried so we took her to the hospital and the first people that saw her Still as well, they were like, uh, she looks like she's sick, but um, you know, we'll give you some maybe an ID or something like that, get you guys out of here in a couple hours. And then another woman came and she was like, you know, she's a child, she shouldn't be waiting for things, so let's move her into another room. They moved her into another room. Uh the whole time I, you know, she was on my shoulder, I was carrying her, I carried her into the ER in my truck. Um she was a little lethargic, but we thought, you know, she hadn't slept all night from having a stomach virus and you know, she was just tired. Um Something alarming. They didn't look pale. Um, again, we're not doctors, so anything that would show any signs, we're not, we don't know. Um, we're just worried parents. So uh, I remember even in the ER, they looked at us like we were being a little uh, crazy, like guys got calmed down, get a stomach virus, not a big deal. So when we got to the second room, we were sitting there and, uh, you know, I was, I was looking at her, my wife was looking at her and uh, looking back at things, uh, thank God we were together. Um, that that was a moment that no one would have thought was going to end in about 20 minutes, but um, we were looking at her and then she started to look really pale to our eyes. And I'm like, you know, why isn't anybody coming in and doing anything? So I started asking for help and somebody came in and um, she wound up swirling herself in the bed. And again, I was like, this is kind of alarming. Doesn't anyone think that's alarming? And they're like, no, you know, this is probably just the stomach virus, blah, blah, blah. So uh, they changed the sheets. they, changed some stuff around her and then we're sitting there and my wife um was looking at her and she's like you know sophia are you okay she's like point to daddy and um she pointed to daddy which was me and then her hand dropped and uh, when i looked at her that was it that was uh the moment she her head dropped i you know obviously screamed uh about 10 people eight, eight to 10 people rushed in my first questions were where the f was everybody where the hell have you guys been we sat there 45 minutes with no iv uh nothing It just changed the the shit that she shit and uh so then they worked on her and we were in a section of the hospital where other people were i guess either staying because it was um you know critical care of some sort or um but um they worked in it for about an hour and a half and we sat there and watched it, which was absolute torture. And they had to start getting people out of the area. Uh, things didn't go exactly to protocol. I would say because other doctors came down and were telling them to stop at one point through the madness. Even I could tell from, um, where I was sitting with my wife that her feet, you know, change color already, but they they kept going. Uh, not really sure why, uh, But, uh, after about an hour, they had told us, uh, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen we can't get our heart to keep going after without us doing it. They switched out about seven, six, seven people pumping their heart for about an hour. Uh, then they did it again for about another 20 minutes. And again, another doctor came down and at this point, you know, there was a lot of screaming. A lot of people were, uh, had to leave other rooms because me and my wife were, you know, it's, it's fucking torture. I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, And that's pretty much it. Uh, At some point, they stopped. They told us the bad news. My wife, you know, she screamed. Uh, I screamed as well. And then uh, we walked into another room. And, uh, you know, the rest is, you know, what a lot of us know as to, uh, you know, numbness. Uh, I had to drive out of there with my wife. I dropped her off at her parents' house. I drove home luckily uh she had already uh preemptively called friends who were waiting for me at my house uh so they walked me in um then you know during all that um we other family members came and stuff like that and uh you know the the, the numbness kicked in and you know we we didn't have a uh traditional funeral we just had a, a celebration of life as some people do for their children uh we did it at a park where we let butterflies out and stuff like that um lots of people showed up uh she touched the lives of a lot of people for a five-year-old girl but uh yeah that's pretty much it uh you know uh unfortunately with something like that doctors really couldn't give uh Many answers. It's uh one of those things they said I remember uh, one of the clearest things I remember is uh in the hospital, you know, at the time this was when COVID was still big. So one of my first questions was uh, you know, is it COVID related? He was like, No, you know, I don't think it is. We'll check into it further, but we already did some tests, no, and he's like, uh, I hate to tell you this. He's like, but I've seen healthy random people walk into the hospital with their families and we have to walk back out and tell their family that he didn't come back out. He's like, things like this happening. He's like, I know you don't want to hear that. Um, he's like, it's just at this very moment as a, as a, a human to a human, I have no idea how this happened. Um, the quickness of it, the, uh, the, it, it was just something we have never seen. Um, even after, you know, months later, toxicology college reports and Further autopsies and stuff like that, um, people were still pretty. I uh, just, there this, this, this still wasn't the clearest answer as to uh, how exactly it happened. You know, um, we can rule out any kind of like, she didn't eat anything, it wasn't COVID, but uh, then, you know, not something inside, just, I don't know, gave and uh you know it was uh it was it was crazy i did hear i have um people that work in the hospital i did hear most of that staff like had to take leave of absence it was i'm sure it was heartbreaking for them too uh you, you don't expect that uh we certainly did not like i said we were at literally like i think me and my wife like went to like a gym the day before we were like high and like yeah all right life's about to be good again you know like things just looked really great uh and uh you know that was it um the next couple of months, I uh I describe it as uh like I, I call it uh life before my daughter life part one and then life after my daughter life part two. So uh I consider like a part of most of me just changed I, whatever the words you want to say. And uh I became a child again. Uh like friends and family had to sleep over. I was like, oh you guys gotta sleep over, everyone's gotta sleep over. Uh I went through a you know a couple of weeks of it, but, uh, it was the support mainly. You just needed somebody there because I was used to my daughter being there. She, you know, at five, you're very connected with your child. Uh, you're, you're teaching them things. You're, you're learning from them. You're, uh, you know, you see so much that, you know, you don't really see in yourself anymore because she's so pure and wonderful. And so, uh,
2: the next, uh, you know, weeks after people started sleeping over, it
1: became a, a game of like, um, people making rounds of stopping over. And that's how I dealt with it. Uh, my wife was a little different, um, which again is, uh, you know, a whole other subject, but you know, she dealt with it more of on the isolated side, which didn't cause any issues mainly, but we just had to accept the fact that I'm a guy that needs to have people over. She's a person that wants to be by herself a little bit or with me alone or something. So uh, that was an interesting, uh, I wouldn't call it a hurdle, but uh, you know, something that you had to, narrowly move around she didn't want to hurt each other's feelings and there were times where you would argue and you'd stop and be like there's no reason to argue about this you know we're we're not we're projecting um the weeks after that that followed um my son being three he uh it, it was heartbreaking at him to first and he then developed um whatever you would call it fantasy spirituality i'm not really sure he uh, started seeing her in his dreams as angels uh he started seeing her in the car next to us when he would be driving and saying she's flying next to us uh he would say her name in the middle of the night while we were sleeping which of course would be torturous for me to hear um but uh he handled it i call him my wise little buddha because he handled it in a way where, you know, like it was inspiring to me because uh, they were inseparable. That was his best friend. Uh, any pictures, any videos you saw, she bottle fed him. She would, uh, she, they, he called her honey because we used to call her honey. And she called him buddy because we used to call him buddy. They rarely called each other by their name. So they had nicknames for each other. They were absolutely inseparable. Uh they were very close in age and close in size. She was a tiny little girl. He was a big little guy, um, and they absolutely adored each other. It was, uh, it was, you know, pretty, pretty rare to see two boy and a girl just bond like that. Um, so we were very worried about him, and he took a, you know, a, a very strong sense of spirituality or something fantasy to it and believe things and just kept going forward and uh when he would he would bring her up and then look at me and be like oh, i don't want to talk about it. i don't want to make you cry and i'd be like this this kid is like how's this four-year-old kid like that conscious to know like and it, it was really it blew me away um but we had to take him on um he was used to watching tv with her and going to sleep with her at night so we had to take him on wagon rides uh around the block for like for like two months, um, me and my wife, me and my wife and her father, me and my wife and my mother, he'd have to go in the wagon ride and we have to go around the block over and over and over again until he falls asleep in the wagon. Then we'd have to pick him up bring him in the house. While he was in the wagon, he'd talk to the stars and do other stuff, which the reason why I even bring it up is you're not sh- I'm not sure if it was therapeutic or torture for me, but it probably in the end was therapeutic because it made me face things that I probably didn't want to talk about to him um, and he would talk to me about them um I certainly wasn't able to look up to the sky and be like you know my daughter's an angel I can see you from there everything's okay down here nowhere near ready uh, but he was and that's what he was doing um so that it also led to um, us not going back to the second floor of my house I don't know if other parents dealt with that uh, we all me and my wife and my son, i mean for the first like five six months i'm pretty sure we all slept together or scattered on couches and blow-up mattresses in my in my garage uh which is a a little hangout room room, room, which i'm in now my office um we put a blow-up mattress in here and slept in here sometimes we slept in uh our playroom our living room we didn't go upstairs for months uh that bedroom was unoccupied for at least two months um Unfortunately, during all this, like I said, we were reaching that high point. There was workers that were two days away from finishing some work. So there was a little work that they had to finish. When they came back, me and my wife had to make the decision. Do we finish the work they started or do we have them give my son a room? And it faced us with a, what I consider um, an early decision, where because I know most parents don't deal with this. Um, and I'm not sure which the right or wrong answer is, but it doesn't matter. Um, we had to think, do we give our son his own room, or do we give that other half of his room to his sister and leave her stuff there? And uh, we asked my son, who, again, I call him my wise Buddha. He um, He's like, listen, I'd like you to leave some stuff, but I'd like my own room. And uh, he said, you know, uh, I think Sophia would be okay with that, too. And um, we made the decision, which was, again, heartbreaking and probably premature, but we had to go through all her stuff, all her clothes on the second floor and uh put some stuff away and move some stuff around. We made parts of the house shrine-like, which you know later transitioned to um, you know, what I call um grieving, mourning, and then remembering. Um the grieving part, we were just keeping on to everything, and then the mourning part, we were trying to save everything and look at it and idolize it. And now in the remembering part, you know, you don't need 20 of her toys on your desk to remember her. You you know, there's just certain levels and stages you go through. Um, at least we did. So, um, we went through what I call the morning part and, you know, we would look her toys, look at her stuff, go through a cry, put it in a crate and not really put it away. Um, they worked on the house and my son got his own room, which, which I call almost like the fast pace or like boot boot camp training of grief because, you know, you really could take your time with that otherwise if you didn't have housework being done. Um, You could take weeks, months, years if you really want. But uh, we had months. We had a month. uh, So within the end of December, from August to December, they were working on the house and by January they were done and my, you know, my daughter's room was... uh, pretty much gone in a sense. Um, But my son kept so much of her stuff around and would keep her toys around that uh, we felt very much connected to her. There's a lot of pictures of my daughter from her celebration of life that were uh, made and people gave us, people sent us. So um, we didn't hesitate to put them everywhere. Some people I know don't have pictures out. Uh, I know some people put little pictures out. We went the other route where we just put tons of them out where the pain of seeing her face wasn't terrible the hundredth and fiftieth time if that makes any sense you know uh the first 149 times it was heartbreaking but on that 150th you know at least you could sit there and maybe give it a kiss or talk to it and just have some composure um again i call it it was a boot camp training of it because you didn't need to go through it as fast as we did but we kind of didn't have a choice um and it was better for my son i think especially with the strength he was showing um i'll be the first to say being a famous being a musician that likes to play guitar i was i was the most emotional i would cry the most uh i would um tear up the most in front of them um you know family was very worried about me so, um, uh, and not that they weren't worried about my wife, but, uh, she's a strong woman and, uh, she comes from a family of two. I come from a family of five. I'm the oldest. So I had a little, um, training with raising my three brothers and a sister. So, um, connection with me being a father was immediate. Like I was absolutely obsessed with my daughter. Um, you know, I would, people would say it all the time. Like I would leave work and be like, I'd lie and be like, oh, I gotta go do something. I'm like, no, you're gonna hang out with your daughter. And I just like absolutely obsessed with her uh every night pretty much uh whether i was working or doing music or whatever was going on when it was bedtime it would be and my wife would come in the room they were in hanging out or wherever we were and i'd look at her and i'd say bedtime and she would just put her hands up and i'd lift her up and i'd put her to bed and my wife and my son would do it and we go to bed and we have this like awesome thing going um where we just felt like it was the closest thing to perfect you know we're not rich people we're not we don't live in a mansion or anything of the sort, but we were happy with our little house, or our little life, as they say. Um, and, you know, all that changed real quick. We went from a family of four to a family of five. Again, me being the oldest, I lost the oldest in my family. Uh, my father, who lost his father, my mother, who lost her only brother, her father and her mother. So she's been, she's no, no one left in her family, immediate family. They say the biggest loss they've ever faced was my daughter. Um, It was just so unexpected. And anyone that knew her, she was such a a beacon of light and energy and and happiness. Uh, Everyone that met her, that showed up to her celebration life, had a story. Even to like the whole monitor at her school, who'd be like, oh, I remember your daughter. She was the one that whenever she'd go to the bathroom, she'd say dance party in the bathroom. And the woman loved her so much that she brought confetti one day. And would bring confetti every time she'd go to the bathroom and i was like like what, what kind of connection and she said it too she was like i absolutely loved your daughter she was like i was she came to the celebration alive, and she was in tears all her principals came all her teachers came her doctors came like everyone that ever met her came um people from the town uh real quick just to go back to that because i wanted to mention it really pulled together we're, we're not a small town of any sort it's not like um we live in like in the, in the Midwest where it's a small community. It's uh, we're in Oceanside, Long Island. Uh, people are pretty to themselves for the most part, but uh, people really came together and they, they put together this purple bow thing where um, everybody in the town started getting these bows and uh, they put them all over the town and they put them on the school on the entire fence of the school that she was supposed to go to Um, that was down the block from her house. So for like the first six months we would pass it and, it was covered in purple bows, which was, you know, great to see heartbreaking at the same time. Cause you knew she wasn't going to go there. Uh, but you know, a lot of people on her birthday, they came and they played uh, music for us outside of our house. Um, you know, they did a lot, they did a lot of things, uh, just to show us they were there and that we weren't alone. Um, people just you know would chop off food and purple things my daughter's favorite color was purple she loved unicorns uh and everyone knew her as a musician she was in dance school she did a couple of um dance for silos and stuff like that so you know anything that was purple and music related was always sent to us um she reached as far as uh italy ireland greece uh, uh israel all these people planted uh trees in her name uh in Orion's belt, someone put a star in her name and stuff like that. Uh, and again, I'm only mentioning it because I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of these people I'm mentioning. I, I, I don't know any of them. Uh, the few people that I do knew that did any of that sort, um, you know, they did the normal thing or, you know, they came by and stuck and hung out with me every single day until I wasn't a shell of a man. Uh, but there's just so many strangers that um, knew her or heard of her, or saw a picture of her and just uh were touched by her. And uh that always meant a lot because she would always tell us things like that. She'd always like, oh, I wanna uh take care of you guys one day and be a famous singer because I'm a singer. And she's like, I wanna be a famous singer because I'm not. <laughs> and she's like, I wanna take care of you guys one day. Uh so we always found that, you know, so sweet of her. Um, and again, she was so sweet to everybody that there was just such a connection between uh, I guess her and so many people. Uh She always sang at the barbecues we would have with our friends and and family. Uh, She has this song. uh, It's on her prayer card as well from the funeral, uh, from the Ceremony of Life. It's a song from the Wilgabees. It's called I Choose You. And um, the song lyrics, which again, it's irony behind certain things. It's just, it's it's, it's insane. Um, It's about a, a woman, a girl who chooses a family and she wants a family that loves her and um in the in the in the film they don't love her it's a cartoon it's on netflix it's the sweetest thing in the world but there's the the parents are terrible to the kids and she would always sing the song and be like i I choose you i sing it to you guys because you don't treat us like that like the family does in the movie and uh of course somebody got um somebody somebody got someone to sing it at the funeral which was at the ceremony of life which was heartbreaking um and uh you know, every time it comes on, you you, you hear it. But the words are are, are so uh, profoundly, um, coincidentally ironic. I'm not sure which words you use there uh, because, you know, some of the words are like, I'm going into the light, but I ironic stuff. Um, so within some of the uh, grief, we started looking for some hopes of signs and ways to start... Um, looking at the upside, which would be the next step I call remembering. Um, we tried grief counseling, uh, me and my wife did it together. It, uh, it went well, we did it for a while. Uh, after a while, we just looked at each other and I swear even the therapist was like, you know, at this point, I think I'm, I think I'm dragging you guys through the mug. He's like, I, I don't even think we need to do this anymore. Uh, not that it wasn't working, I just don't think he was equipped with uh, handling the loss of a child. He never lost a child. And no matter what he would try to do, I could see it in his eyes. He would, there'd be a sense of almost feeling bad when he'd bring up certain things and we'd be hysterical crying and he'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I'd be like, no, don't be sorry. We want to talk about it, but it was foreign territory to him. So, uh, it, it was really, um, it was great for us, but you know, it definitely wasn't the best. And at the time, COVID was just so heavy. Nobody would meet any kind of, um, hope or any of those other places we reached out to. Nobody was meeting us. Uh, Even the therapist we were talking to was in was on a Zoom call. Uh, I don't think we were able to meet an actual human being from August until February that we didn't know already or were related to or didn't stop by on their own will. Uh, Any kind of um, friend that you know, like a friend of a therapist that reached out, or I have a a mother, a friend's mother. She's a a nurse and she reached out to a. uh, a therapist, a grief counselor. And he was like, yeah, I can't meet you guys. Uh, I can do it over the phone. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to work the same guys. You know, um, they just, they didn't realize, especially at the time, you know, we, we just needed something. Um, and at that point we just kind of, uh, you know, we, we we honed in on each other, uh, me and my wife at around the February mark where, uh, we, we couldn't get anyone to meet us. We couldn't get any kind of grief counseling. We couldn't get it into anything, uh, in churches or anything like that we decided to um take a risk on each other and we uh we went out to the Polkados and we spent the weekend together because uh you know we were still foggy we weren't sure which route to go in uh, are we going to be griefing forever are we going to be looking for counselors forever are we going to be in therapists forever and is that what's going to make us happy or are we going to look to each other and maybe look for some happiness there and go from there so we went away for a weekend uh to a really, um, nice resort in Poconos. It was nice and spiritual. It was beautiful mountains and, um, we didn't do anything. We turned the phones off. Well, uh, we checked in on our son and, uh, we came back and we felt somewhat better. You know, we, uh, we, we brought, I don't go anywhere out of state without my daughter's, uh, urn, So we brought that with us and, uh, we just, you know, search within each other to find something that, uh, like I said, unfortunately we weren't able to get from anybody else. And, uh, we came back and we, t- I, I t- we took the next step, uh, into going towards remembering and we worked with our son as far as his grief. And to be honest, uh, he really didn't have much. Uh, he was young enough where it, um, it, it was a fantasy spiritual thing. I'm not really sure. And he, rarely cried uh he would cry sometimes and he when he would cry it would almost like he would prepare us he'd be like all right you know um we're talking about Sophia. i'm gonna cry now so prepare yourselves because you guys are weak and i'm strong but i'm gonna cry now and uh he would cry and as the months went on we became uh as sad as it sounds um a, a unit of three you know we uh we had to hone in on the fact that uh you know, I'll never forget one time my son, uh, and I don't think he meant it as the way I took it, but um, someone was talking about everybody, about the children and me and my wife, and he and he was like, oh, well, Sophia's the most important. And I looked at him and I was like, why would you say that? And he's like, well, you know, Sophia's the most important. She's in heaven. And I was like, you're both important. You know, don't, don't think somebody's more important because you hear about her more. You see her more on the walls. I'm like, it's only because we're grieving. And I had to give that talk to him because he's a little boy. He doesn't really understand. And even if he meant that positively, I don't want that to echo in his head for any sort of reason, the wrong way. Um, so we had to really become a unit of three and we had to show him the importance of being a unit of three. And, um, again, there's still photos of my daughter everywhere. Uh, we still talk to her as if, um, you know, she could hear us and, uh, he's very sure and very strongly clear that she sees things and, you know, things of that nature. And, um, we just had to hone in on that. And, um, you know, as, as weeks went on, you know, friends started showing up less. I'd say by the time summer came, uh, the the 20, 30 friends between me and my wife that would come over on a daily basis, uh, on a weekly basis, probably down to one or two. And that's just what happens. Um, you know, nothing against any of them. That's just what has to healthy ha, ha, has to happen as a healthy way. Um, and uh, I was the first one to go back upstairs. I slept upstairs alone for the first couple of nights. It was uh, rather, you know, uh, <laughs> mind bending. But uh, it was um, something that had to be done. And then uh, slowly but surely, weeks weeks followed. We all made our way up there. You know, uh, and you know two and a half years later, we're, we're all up there now. Um, my son's about to go to the school that my daughter was supposed to go to, which is, um, down the block from her house at the end of this school year. Uh, he's in kindergarten now. So he's going to start first grade like she was, um, you know, it's at first we really couldn't, uh, hang out with families and, be around people with daughters. I mean, I'm sure people went through the same thing. It was just hard at first, uh, which I profusely apologized to for people. Didn't, they didn't need the apology, which, which most of them said. But uh, you know, I had to make sure, A, I'm like, please don't don't cut us out. We, we still want to be included in things. You know, Just right now, we can't be. Uh, and I know I told you I could come, but I'm in my room right now crying, so I cannot come. I'm going to be honest. So at least, you know, I'm not lying. I'm not in the backyard like playing golf or do, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not coming because I can't make it mentally. Um, you know, and slowly but surely we did, we did those things, you know, the first holidays were very isolated, you know uh, I don't want to say we were cold, but we were numb. So, you know, it was like, we're going to stay home alone. You want to come here, come here. If you don't, don't worry about it. We're going to be here. Uh, and people came. And then after a while, like I said, I made the realization, you know, this got to get back to the real life and the real world and family's still out there. They're still waiting for us. They're not always going to come to you. Um, and we started doing things again where we started going back out to hang out with people and their daughters. Um, we threw my son his party, you know, last in October that just passed, uh, that was his real first big birthday party he's had since, my daughter and him shared a, a, a party, which was their last big birthday party. Um, and we brought a picture of her. It was on the table next to the cake. You know, we make her present in everything. Um, she's always present in all the prayers if, you, if we say, and I'm not not that anyone's religious, but if you just say things, you know, we always include her in things. Um, we just, you know, we, ha- we had to go forward instead of staying, you know, a little stagnant. Um, and I started doing music again, Uh, my wife went to work real quick. She, she was, she found it therapeutic to go back to work. I needed an extra few weeks. Uh, that's just the difference between certain people. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to say now at this point in, you know, March, 2023, we're, uh, a pretty strong unit of three. We now attend anything that's offered to us if, if we can. Um, you know, uh, we don't, nothing, nothing's it's hard. Everything's hard. You know, uh, I call it a living with a tent, uh, instead of living, I'm sorry, living with a, uh, like living in a, instead of living in a glass house, I call it, we live in a tent now. And, uh, if a gust of wind comes at any moment, I got to sit there in front of everybody and put my tent back up and everyone's got to sit there and watch. And everyone, you know, that old saying, like living in a glass house, I, I wish I still lived in a glass house. I live in a tent where if you say something about something that hits me the wrong way, I'm going to break down. I'm going to go in the corner. I'm going to go and I'm going to step out. Uh, so this tent that I live in now, it, it sucks, but we, we go to things now in our tent, at least uh, we're still showing. We we we're being present now for our son to feel some, some sort of normality um, for our friends to look at us and family, look at us in some sort of normality and include us in everything and not be like, ah, maybe we shouldn't invite them to that. We don't want to bother them. Or maybe we shouldn't call them today. Cause you know, like this. All those things, we were just trying to... Uh, we started noticing that hesitation, and uh, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, people don't know how to handle it, but you don't have what happened to us happen to them. And they try everything and anything. Um, sometimes it's the wrong thing. Sometimes it's the absolute right thing. But, um, you know, we had to figure out a way to um, have a normality back in order for life to keep going at a pace for my five-year-old son to feel normal, um, to not think that, you know, somebody's more important than him or that we're thinking about somebody more than him or that other people are thinking about somebody more than him. Uh, Because he went to her school for kindergarten, the whole school was talking about her. They put stuff up on the walls in the school that'll be there forever. They planted a tree in front of the school for her. So every day he would go and see the tree and say good morning to the tree, and you know. But again, you know, as a child, you have to think like, wow, it's a lot of stuff happening for this person. She must be important, and we just wanted things to be a little clear for him. You know, five is a very pivotal age, and um, you know, it seemed that uh, it was important to become a unit. Uh, not to say that we don't fake it a lot for him, you know, um, but he he seemed stronger and happier when that unit of three became a unit of three and, um, you know, things have moved smoother since then. And, uh, you know, it seems that in, like I said, in March, um, we have what I call on the morning is every, every, every day, every morning is a good half hour cry. And then uh, every night is a good half hour cry, but, uh, I keep the tent pretty strong during the day. And if anybody like throws a rocket at it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, take it easy. I can't, I can't, not right now. I, it's, you know, I also call it a faucet. I'm like, I have the faucet really tight. I'm like, if you, if you open the faucet, I can't control when the water is going to stop. And so, uh, I, I, you know, I go through life pretty cautiously now. Um, certain things I can talk about, certain things I can tighten up about, certain things I cannot talk about. Um, you know, and uh, it, it, it's, it's been, um, I would say, you know, a, a very mentally mind splitting journey, but it's, um, you know, if there, there is a possibility to regain some sort of consciousness, if you talk to people like yourself and have a certain presence around you, uh, instead of isolation, which is what I found was uh, keeping us in in a rut in the beginning.
2: Well, Christopher, you, uh, man, you went through a lot. Sounds like Sophia was a, an amazing little girl. Uh, you definitely threw some stuff out there that really hit me right away as I was listening to you talk. And uh, I, I like your your grieving, mourning, remembering how you said that. Uh, I clearly remember doing the same thing. So it's, it's just, it really jumped out to me when you said that. And uh, just now when you're talking about with your son, how... A lot of grieving parents, you know, my kids were the same way when we lost our son. At first, they were upset, but they seemed to bounce back a lot quicker than we do, right, as parents. And uh, I think you're right, too. There was a point where I know I was just putting on a face for them to get through to make life somewhat normal again, and they started progressing and doing a lot better when when I did that. But it's not easy, right? I mean, we're still in that deep grief and pain and they're ready to go. You know, my kids would be like, let's go bowling. Let's go fishing. Let's do this. And I'm like, bro, I don't even want to get out of bed today, man. Like, but you got, you got to put the face on for them sometimes. And uh, um, so I feel for you, brother. That's uh, definitely, you know, a lot of stuff. And I know, just listen to your story. Dan has some similarities as well. The hospital really hit me when you were talking about that. Uh, that that hit me pretty good. I had some tears in my eyes there because we have a lot of similarities in our stories. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Um, same thing. Your your story is a, a very big mix of Chris and my story together with um, how sudden it happened and then the issues in the hospital with the care and and your perception of were they doing all they could um it's it's a, a big combination f- for both of us so you 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 hit us both pretty hard yeah um so i um there were a couple things that i really stood out i guess um yeah your th- therapeutic versus torture I think we've all probably been through that and continue going through that because yeah, we've we've got to be there for our other kids. And it's it is, it's torture. And it's nothing against the love we have for our kids and our desire to be with them, but it's our ability to grieve a loss that's completely different for them. And they do, kids bounce back so much quicker in many cases. Um, so that that stuck out to me um, i I, um, you referred to it as a boot camp and I haven't ever thought of that before I thought of it as grief in that way I think that's a perfect analogy that yeah when, when you lose a child it it is it's boot camp and I've never been in the military maybe Chris can share something there but um, I thought that was a perfect analogy that you're just, it's literally survival, right?
1: Yeah, um, somebody had asked during that, when I made that analogy, they were like, you know, how how are you surviving? And I said, uh, let me give you a pretty good example. I'm like, imagine like we're, we're all at war and all of a sudden I get my leg blown off. Bo- I'm sorry, I said both legs, both legs are blown off. I'm like, but you figure out a way to patch them up but the line is still all the way up there. Now you're going to walk there. I still have to get to that line. So that's life now going forward. I'm like, think of it like that. I'm like, I got to crawl to the end of that line now. And you're still going to walk. I'm like, I'm next to you still, but now I'm down here and I'm sitting there crawling through the mud with no legs. I'm like, that's the best analogy I can give you, which is no, in no way, shape or form uh, to take anything away from military and like that. I'm not saying it like that, but I'm just a mental, a mental state. Um, You just feel so handicapped all of a sudden, anything that's brought up to you or anything that mentions your, your daughter or things of that nature, you know, it just it, it, it hits you hard and you're crawling forever now. And that's it. You know, uh, and that was the best way I, I could have put it.
0: I like that, too. I just I just had the conversation again this week of, with somebody about um, when we say we're OK um and a lot of people hear that and they're like, Oh great. And it's like you are not understanding that for me being okay is I got out of bed and I went to work today. Um right. exactly. it is it is a completely different level than what you're okay is. Uh, so I think I think your the picture you just created there is helpful.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like too how you said part one of your life and part two of your life, uh wow, that, that really resonated with me a lot because I, I think about it a lot. Like, uh, And I also really like the stagnantly happy that you said that you had before. I think that resonates with a lot of grieving parents. Uh, there, It's the normal craze, right, of just raising kids in this hectic world, but you're happy, right? And then uh, the grief hits you so hard, so quick. And you think about that part one of your life so much. And now you think, how am I going to get through this part two without my kid? And it, 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 you know, like you said, very difficult. You have some great analogies that really put it out there to people listening, like, um, you know, of of the way it is. That being said, you're still pretty early in your journey. I mean, being 2021, losing Sophia, how are you doing overall? Are you feeling, it sounds like you, you're doing, somewhat better because you're starting to move, take the steps moving forward. But do you, what do you do for yourself? Like to get through, do you seek counseling? Do you just talk with friends? What, what works best for you and what kind of advice could you give to parents that are maybe around the same time frame, a year to a year and a half close Uh, to their two year mark?
1: For us mainly, uh, I'm trying to think how the best way that would be described this. Uh, We went through, I guess everything in a sense. Uh, We tried one-on-one counseling. We didn't find that uh, too helpful. We tried a counseling together where me and my wife sat in the same room together, just like this. And uh, that worked at first just to talk to somebody and just like, even talking to you guys today, I've, you know, the crying that I had at the end was a different cry because I don't really get to talk to parents uh, in depth like this or even when they do ask, you know, they don't ask to hear your whole story. Like I just said, uh, so talking to, uh, someone who knew a similar pain certainly started to help. Once I got past, uh, being completely numb and just wanting to not think about anything. Um, in the beginning memories were painful, pictures were painful, which is why I put the pictures up. And for the first year, every time I look at them, I look back and cry. Um, but I wanted that to transcend into um, not forgetting. And then by people bringing her up all the time and looking at the pictures, I would not forget. And then after therapy kind of ran its course with me and my wife, I then turned to um, one-on-one time with friends. Uh, I, again, I said it earlier, uh, I, I became a child almost at the beginning where I wanted people to sleep over. Like, please stay here as long as possible just so I could talk to you. I found the form of, expressing and saying her story people asking some questions um just getting it off your chest getting it out of your head would help uh the unloading really helped so um my friends and my family i have to give credit where it's deserved here they really they put a group chat text together and they would text each other and each person would take runs and turns come by my house hey they knock on my garage door hey what's up uh and hang out for a few hours. I'd be like, oh, great. And you know, and they're like, all right, we we'd sit, we hang out. I got to go home, man. I'd be like, oh, no. They'd be like, no, don't worry, man. Brad's here. And then he'd come in and I'd be like, oh, that's great. And and I mean, so 1130 at night. I mean, they would sit me in that black chair right behind me, wait till I fall asleep, go out the door, and I'd wake up and the door closed and they'd hear me be like, oh, you're awake? Don't worry about it. I'll hang out a little longer. Like, my friends and family really took turns making sure we were okay. People slept here. People lived here. People will come with food. They would feed us. I stopped cooking. I'm the cook of the house. Uh, I stopped cooking. We started ordering in uh, which was not the healthiest thing to do. So people started making home cooked meals and bringing them to us. Um, They would start come. I would catch like my, my wife's friends start doing our laundry. I'm like, Hey, listen, (laughs) I do my laundry, but you know, like you would just see them going out of their way to really try to help you. They started doing our dishes and, I'm, I'm a person that likes to do a lot on their own. Um, just being the oldest of five, um, you take care of things. So seeing it at first was like, don't worry about Please don't do it. But then I took, took a step back and I was like, wow, uh, the amount of support is is immense. Uh, these people have lives. These people are, I'm, I'm 39. So I was, we were all 37, 36, 35 back then. Um, kids full-time jobs, lives. They use vacation time. They use personal days. My sister didn't go to work for two weeks. She stayed over my house. Uh, My brother didn't go to work for two weeks. He stayed at my house. Uh, People really just showed an insane amount of support. So uh, that helped, but more the talking to people really helped me feel okay at the end of the day because what I found hard was not talking to people and sitting in my room or sitting with my wife alone and... Isolating myself a little bit in the beginning by not saying anything, your story and your your emotions and your words were bottled up inside, just spinning around, and your wife doesn't want to hear it because she's going through the same thing. And I don't want to hear it, because I'm going through the same thing, and your son can't hear it because he's a child. So speaking to people was the best thing. Uh that just therapeutically made the biggest difference for me. Um, I think it it helps anybody to not feel alone and not feel isolated at a time where uh, you feel like there's a microscope on you from like somewhere and you're wondering why this is happening to me, why this happened to us, you know, people probably, you know, do you deserve it? Did I do something bad? Did I, is this something from a last life? And all these questions that start rolling through your head and you're like, just what the hell could I do? And in the end it was to talk. Just to talk to people, whether it be a therapist, whether it be to a friend, whether it be to a grieving parent, uh, I found it it just unloaded. I would take breaths and just feel uh, a weight uh, weight lifted. Um, And then I also thought telling my daughter's story was another way of her being remembered. Um, When you talk to people about it, it, you know, it's her name again. It's her memories again. Things come back to you again. Senses enhance again and you remember something and you smile to yourself or you cry to yourself and uh you know there's a little bit of um like tremendous grief but happiness within that because you're bringing up something that hurts you so much but now you're telling it to someone in a way where you know i i, I would never call myself a survivor of anything yet because i'm nowhere near done but you, you know, you're like, you're like I'm still here, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still trying. I'm still crawling on the field. You know, I'm still, ma- I'm still trying to make it to the end. Uh, and if I'm, if I could still try and do it and, um, you know, hopefully anybody could still try and do it as long as people just keep talking to each other and keep that universal love language of this, you know, it's, it's important.
0: Yeah. You're, you're, um, you're saying some things that I think are super important. Um, when I went, I went through therapy one time, uh, I went, went to one session, the lady was phenomenal, but she hadn't lost a kid. So I knew for me right away, it was not gonna help me. Um, I found two or three guys at my church who, wow. although they hadn't lost a child, I could talk the same way I could to the woman and f- whatever it was, I just had that connection and that safety with them. And that was my therapy. I know Chris has gone through a lot of therapy and and still does attend a lot. So it's an individual thing for everybody listening. You got to find the key is you got to find somebody to talk to. And it doesn't matter who that person is. If it helps you release your hurt and your pain and your stress and everything in a healthy, productive way, um, that's... That's what matters. Um, you said you you've talked about your wife, and you said at the very beginning that um, one of the times where you two started going at each other, and you you were able to stop each other and say we're just projecting, and that's huge. Um, the ability to talk to people in healthy ways, whoever whoever it is, and it's different every single day potentially, and it's different for what are you talking about. Um, The subject changes the person that can help. So um, I appreciate you saying all that um, because I think that's so, so critically important. And then also just highlighting again, we've talked about it many times of the people in our lives. um, And I still get it. We just crossed our fourth year this past Monday. Um, Still get people that say, I don't know if I should talk about them because I don't want to hurt or I don't want to make the sad any worse. And there is no way that you can make the sad any worse than it already is. Uh, we're, we're going through hell. Um, you're, there's a real good chance that it, there's going to be tears if you talk about our lost loved ones because of what it is. But it helps because you're not, as you've said so many times, Christopher, we're not in isolation. And we know that somebody is there somebody recognizes our pains and somebody's saying our child's name and keeping them alive, and you said it too, It most of the time it'll put a smile on our face. It'll warm our heart for that instant. And if enough people do that, stop worrying about the tears that will come. Those little nuggets of warmth in our heart and those little smiles are uh, tremendously helpful in helping us get it through every moment of the day. So keep, just keep our, our children's memories alive and, and do talk about them.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, that's why Dan and I started this podcast and that's why we want people to come on. I mean, really, we want dads to have that opportunity or anyone really, but we, we focus on dads a lot cause we're dads to, to be willing to share those emotions, a lot of times dads are afraid to share those emotions. It just kind of builds up over time, makes it worse for the whole family. So, you know, if you're having any kind of concern and you, um, you know, you haven't talked to anyone yet, you can talk to just me and Dan or even Christopher, or any of us, and we don't have to record it. We don't have to broadcast it. If you just want to talk, just to start, trust us, it's gonna help a lot. I mean, I'm coming up on my three year mark of losing Mason. And, um, yeah, I'm sad. There's no doubt about it. I'm sad, but I know if I wasn't talking with one of my best friends, Dan here, or with all these other dads and talking about Mason's story as often as I do, I'd be a lot worse. Uh, so you can definitely come on or, you know, reach out to anyone, uh, any of us, if you're thinking about, Hey, what's a good way that I can maybe start this process of healing and starting to live a positive life, uh, for my family in that part too, like Christopher talked about, uh, because you know, our kids and our families, they still need us too. So uh, we don't want to, we don't want to be sad forever in that sense.
0: So Christopher, why don't you um wrap us up here and tell us, uh, we've gone through the painful part of your story. And, and like we just said, anything you say is going to be, have an element of pain, but tell us, wrap us up with a couple of the best Sophia stories or the hope she gives you or whatever you want to do, but wrap us up on some of the positive things that are going to put tears in your eyes, but smile on your heart.
1: Uh, When uh, this is one of the, there's a big picture that I have uh, up in, up in this room. It's over there. It says uh, it's her holding a big world. And in, in, in the heart of it, um, in the middle of it is a heart. And the, the words say the future of the earth is in my hands. And at first, uh, I was upset that they chose that picture to put at the celebration of life because she had passed away. And I was like, the future of the earth is not in her hand. The hell is wrong with you guys? I was really upset about it. It was like a big thing. Um, and ironically, that's the picture that's next to where I sit every day, uh, when I'm not at my desk. Um... It's where I watch television. It's where I, you know, I'll have a meal sometimes. It's a, it's a counter stool. So um, that picture made me realize that um, you don't have to be here to change the world. Uh, I'm a, again, just I'm a musician, so I remember thinking of guys like you know famous musicians that um, were here for a couple of years and we still listen to their songs. So I thought about how many people she knew while she was on earth and then i thought for a second how many people she was touched she touched after and the the amount of people uh went from like the hundred to like thousands and um that really like opened up a door to me just to think that like like you said by keeping a memory alive you're keeping that keeping somebody almost eternal in a sense because you're bringing them up all the time and you're bringing them up to another person. You don't know if that other person is going to tell another person. And that's, that's why talking to somebody was so important. Uh, and every time I look at that picture now, it just, it's the picture I kiss every day. Uh, it's the picture I look at every day. It's literally like three feet from my face. I'm sitting in a chair. It's about three feet big too. It's a pretty big picture. Um, but it's, it's to remind me that, uh, what you could do in a, a short amount of time could really inspire such, you know, a comfort for other people. Um, every time I've told Sophia's story, it's brought tears to people's eyes. Uh, anyone that's known her, they've told her story now to lots of other people, um, and there's something within that sadness. That there is uh there's there's like a life in it. Um, you know, like how a story or how um her name continues to be said, even though on this world she may not be here anymore. Uh I, I find that, you know, talking to people is so important because by doing that, you're Keeping that name alive, and you don't know how far that goes. You know, you don't know how many more people we will talk to, and that will talk to other people that will help somebody. Uh, I know joining your group was the, probably one of the best things ever. And the reason why I joined it was because I remember posting in another group some stuff, and I got bashed. They were like, "Oh, you're a man. You don't know what uh, it's like to lose a child." I was like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, hey, whoa!" I was like, "I wasn't. I didn't even mean it like that." And, I literally went and looked. I think someone may have commented, but I'm pretty sure I went and looked for like grieving fathers. I didn't want to be bashed again. It was crazy. Uh, so I think it was, it's important just to talk and to listen and not to judge and be open minded and realize, you know, no matter any form, loss is loss. And, uh, you know, it's important to, to be conscious of the person that lost someone that, uh, they're like you said, we're trying every day, uh, and it's not easy, but we're still trying. And, uh, You know, it's important to keep trying. That's,
2: that's the, that's the best way to look at it. You know? Yeah. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. I think, you know, you, you did amazing telling Sophia's story. I know she'd be extremely proud of you and I'm sure you gave me some advice, you know, and I'm 100% positive for those that are listening, that they're going to get some solid advice going forward through their grief. And, Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to all keep moving forward and we'll live as happy of a life as we can, even though we're missing our loved ones so much. So thank you for me to you for coming on, Dan.
0: Likewise, Chris, uh, before we wrap it up, can you, are you able to move and show us that picture?
1: Uh, yeah. Hang on one second. Let's see how I can do this. Uh,
0: or if you have any other picture to show us your beautiful little girl.
1: Oh yeah, you know what? Let me
0: uh. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Hmm. Precious.
1: Yeah, she was uh, and this was her and me, but uh, sorry. So well, she was she was such a little like uh, she reminded me of like you ever seen that movie The Trolls? trolls movie mm-hmm. she reminded me of poppy from trolls that's the kind of personality she had. and i'm not joking that was her favorite character and that's what she would say she was like uh after she passed away i remember uh me and my wife were heading into the garage to just probably sit and cry in our own tears and uh we saw some star and it was all uh uh like kind of like a rainbow and i remember saying that it looks like her up there like having a poppy party like a trolls party so, we, you know, she she had such a beacon of energy in life that, like, I can't think of her without having some sort of, like, happiness with that sadness, because she was just the happiest thing I've ever met, you know? She was a, a part of myself, at least, that I didn't know existed, so I, she was just incredible, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm honored that I got those five years with her, because they were f- by far the best five years of my life. Uh, I know I said it before, but I was obsessed with my daughter like uh, everyone with all my friends thought we were gonna have I come from a family of five everyone thought they were gonna have a boy. I was gonna have a boy first I had a girl and I was the happiest guy in the world like I told all my friends you know and she was the best thing that ever happened and uh she's always remembered over here really
0: well thanks for sharing her with us um yeah I know you hit both Chris and I today because your story a lot of pieces of it intertwine with ours very closely. Uh, So thanks for, thanks for sharing. Uh, We know it's hard. Um, We do want to encourage any, anybody, if you're, if you're looking to take that next step, it's not easy to talk about it, but it does help. Um, So reach out to Chris Lepardi, to Christopher John, uh, or myself, and let us know if you just want to talk to somebody that's going through something similar we're happy to happy to be those ears and listen um you can uh, reach out to me at info at you can reach Chris party at Chris at milesformasonmemorial.com uh, and we can certainly connect you to Christopher John if if something he said spoke really closely to you uh, and you want to talk to him directly shoot us a note we'll get you connected and um, we'd love we we just want everybody to get that help. and and take those steps. So, um, but with that, we, we thank you all for, for listening. Christopher, we thank you for sharing Sophia with us. Um, We're sorry. We always say it. We're sorry that we have to meet this way. We wish it could be so much different, but it's an honor to meet you and hear your story. And um, you're, you're one of our brothers now. And uh, when, when we stop recording, we're going to get all the infos because we do, we're in a club that, we're tight, and we're we're there for each other, and you're you're one of us now, buddy. So I appreciate it. Thank you. So thanks to everybody for listening, and we will see you next time on A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache.